You are listening to the Divorced Christian Podcast Show with your host and teacher, Darius Good. He is the senior pastor of Bible Gospel Center and founder of Good Treasure Ministries. He is the author of the books, Unlocking Godly Wisdom and The Divorced Christian. For more information, visit the website at thedivorcedchristian.com. And now here's your host, Darius Good. Welcome to another episode of the Divorced Christian Podcast Show. My name is Darius Good. I am the senior pastor of Bible Gospel Center, which is located in Connecticut. The Divorced Christian Podcast Show is a show where we take an in-depth look at the subject of divorce. For about a year and a half, close to two years, I took a real deep study into the subject. There, I saw too many inconsistencies in our teachings on the subject of divorce. For instance, how could Jesus tell us we can only get divorced for adultery when adultery was punishable by death? And so many raise the argument that Jesus must have been changing the laws of Moses, but this was not the case. And so there's too many uh, inconsistencies in these teachings. And so in my studies, it took me a long period of time to come to the understanding of what Jesus was saying. Some of it is a result of mistranslated words, different translations uh, that chooses words that aren't appropriate. Um, But I found a very consistent message in my studies. And so that's what I've been delivering on this platform. I pray that this has been helpful for many of you that have been tuning in on a regular basis. A lot of the information I provide on this show is in the book, The Divorced Christian. You'll find that book on the website, thedivorcedchristian.com or dariusgood.com. The book is available on Amazon as well. If you enjoy this show, remember to please like, share, subscribe, and shoot us an email. I'd love to hear from you to get feedback to hear how this show has been impacting you. On today, I would like to take a look at another passage of scripture that many will point to as they argue New Testament laws regarding marriage and divorce. And so we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39. And this is episode 41. And of course, if you miss any episodes, you can always listen on the podcast show. You can find that information on the website at the Divorce Christian Podcast Show. Or we're also on Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify. All the episodes are there as well. If you do not have any of those platforms, you can listen to the show off of the website. There are some links Um, That will take you to some platforms where you do not have to have a subscription in order to listen to any of the shows. And so once again, visit the website, thedivorcedchristian.com. So let's begin at uh, with 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39. And this scripture reads, the wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will only in the Lord. And so many people take this scripture, they take it out of context, and at some point we're going to go through this entire chapter, but they take it out of context and use it as a standalone scripture, and in reading this passage, they go through and they explain that this scripture basically explains that the wife is bound by the laws of marriage 
while the husband is alive. And so the conclusion drawn is that as long as the husband is alive, even if the woman gets divorced, she cannot remarry. She's only free to remarry once her husband dies. Then she's at liberty to marry whom she will. And of course, uh, we are to marry Christians, those that are in the Lord. Now, as I explained with Romans chapter 7, verse 2 and 3, This is a second passage that they like to use to reiterate this thinking or this doctrine. Now, we are familiar with the law of Moses and how the law permitted remarriage or actually they really encouraged it in Judaism. Remarriage following a divorce and definitely following a death. I think the time of mourning for a death is about 30 days. And after that, there is an expectation Uh, for men and women to remarry. And so uh, let's read the law here in Deuteronomy chapter 24, the law pertaining to first marriage, which is in verse one. And then we have the law pertaining to divorce, which is found in verse one as well. So suppose a man, and I'm reading from the NLT version, suppose a man marries a woman, but she does not please him, having discovered something wrong with her. He writes her a letter of divorcement, Uh, and divorce her, hands it to her, and sends her away from his house. Now, as I've explained, it wasn't that simple. As I've heard a lot of Christian pastors explain that they would just write on a piece of paper, hand it to their wife, and now they were divorced. That was not the legal process. Um, The bill of divorce had to be drafted by the scribe. It was done at the court in the presence of three judges. They did not have a court system with one judge. Their lowest court system required a tribunal judge system, three judges. You have a scribe that represented the husband responsible for writing the bill of divorce. And then he would hand that to the husband who would then hand it to the wife, placing it in her hand. And then she was sent away, which is the second part of the divorce process. The first is being receiving the bill of divorce. The second part of the process was her being sent out of his house. Now the law continues and I'll read from the King James version. When she departs out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife because she has the bill of divorce, which is also called a get. Now at verse three, Moses continues with a example. He says, if the latter husband hates her, this is her second husband, and writes her a bill of divorcement and gives it to her in her hand. So she's going through another divorce process through the court. He's now sent her out of his house. Or, here's the or, if the latter husband dies. So now we have the understanding that this law applies to death as well as divorce because this law deals with the fact that she's not permitted to go back to the first husband. So it says, if the latter husband dies, which took her to be his wife, her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife. After that, she is defiled. This is called an abomination before God, and thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. And so we can see here in the law um, that it addresses both death of the husband as well as divorce. So both cases, the woman was permitted to remarry. According to the teachings, Christian teachings, In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39, 
I don't know if they don't understand the law of Moses or as many do teach, Jesus changed the law. And I will not deal with that subject on today. I will make one statement regarding that. Um, obviously, if you read Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus clearly states that he did not come to abolish the law. He did not come to destroy the law, that he is come to fulfill the law. What people do not understand is that for Jesus to make any change to the law of Moses, it really would have required the people collectively to agree to that change. If you follow the story of the law being given at, at Mount Sinai and you read that passage, that story in its entirety, not in sections as we would like to read chapters, but read it in its entirety. At the very end, they all agreed. The people agreed to the covenant and they agreed that curses would come upon them if they did not keep the law. They agreed that the blessings pronounced in this covenant would come upon them if they obeyed the law. And the requirement was that they kept the law in its entirety. They had to keep all 613 laws. And so you see this in the book of, of James and in, in Peter and in the writings of Paul, as they, they talk about how uh, if you break one portion of the law, then you are guilty of breaking the entire law. It's not separate. It's one agreement. It's one law. And so for Jesus to come and now change the law of Moses, it would require the people to make addendums to the law of Moses because now the covenant has been altered. It has been changed. It has been broken. So this idea that Jesus came and changed the law of Moses doesn't make sense. Also, the idea that uh, the concept is, is that the law of Moses was simply a way of living. It, it governed their lifestyle it dealt with uh, morality. It was looked at as a code of ethics, but that is not what the law of Moses is. It was the law that governed their nation. It was their legal judicial system. It was the laws, the federal laws of their nation, just like every country has federal laws. So Jesus did not come and change their court system, the tribunal system, um, the penal justice system, which was really the lesser Sanhedrin. And then you had the great Sanhedrin that had uh, 71 judges. Jesus made no changes to that legal system. As we have explained in detail on this podcast show, Jesus was referring to the law of an adulterous marriage according to the law of Moses. And so we will circle back around and give more uh, uh, teaching in that regard. But just for, for quick reference on today's lesson, an adulterous marriage, according to the law of Moses, is not what we teach in Christianity as being the marriage that follows your divorce. That was not the case in Israel. That was not the case according to the law of Moses. And so a woman could enter into a second marriage following a divorce or a third, as we see in the example that that Moses provided there in Deuteronomy chapter chapter 24. But the adulterous marriage only occurred, only occurred if a woman had received word that her husband had died 
out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, she was permitted to enter into a, another marriage because proof of death has now been given to her. So she enters into a second marriage, which would require another marriage agreement, a ketubah, which is a legal binding contract. And if it was later discovered that the husband, the first husband, believed to be dead, is now alive, now this woman has a dilemma because her first marriage is still binding because it did not end in death and the husband did not divorce her. And so at which point, um, by right of law, as we see there in Deuteronomy chapter 24, the first husband cannot take her back because she has now been with another man, so he would be defiled. So the court required the woman to divorce the first husband, be divorced by the first husband, and also by the second husband because the second marriage was legally an adulterous marriage. So in this regard... The woman was then labeled an adulteress. That second husband was labeled an adulterer and he was required to divorce her. The woman was required or permitted, I should say, the woman was permitted to enter into a third marriage, but she was off limits to both of these men uh, forever. If one of them died, she still could not marry the other man. And it's interesting because they still follow a lot of these laws today. Uh, we did one episode where we covered and explained uh, that if a woman was caught in infidelity, suspicion of infidelity, then the priest kept track. And if the woman ended up divorced and she decides to marry the man that there was suspicion of infidelity with, the priest would not marry her, would not marry them. She can marry any other man, but that man is off limits. And they're still practicing some of this today one of the previous episodes, we read a current article where priests are still following these, these rules. They have black lists that they send to, to priests to each other to keep track of these relationships that they will not allow a woman to marry a man that she might have been uh, practicing infidelity with. So we know the law of Moses. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39 is Paul saying something different than the law of Moses? Is his statement here contrary to the law of Moses, that a woman could not enter into another marriage following a divorce, that she can only do so upon the death of the husband? Well, when we read this passage, it kind of seems that that's what Paul is saying. The wife is bound by the law, talking about the law of Moses, as long as her husband liveth, but if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. As I highlighted with Romans chapter 7, people never bothered to look at this word that Paul uses for the word dead. And so the conclusion is that we're talking about a man that has literally died. Now, the word that Paul uses in this passage I'll spell it for you. The word dead is K-O-I-M-A-O, which is a very different word than the word Paul used in Romans chapter 7. So we understood the word Paul used in Romans chapter 7 for dead was a word that meant literally dead and also 
figuratively dead. And then I gave you the example where Paul made the statement that I die daily. Well, Paul wasn't uh, literally dying daily. Paul didn't die every day. So that word was used in the figurative sense. And that's how Paul used that word there in Romans, which means that the woman's husband was dead either literally or figuratively, but both apply to the law of Moses where you're dealing with a literal death or a divorce, which could be viewed as a figurative death. And so once again, in Romans chapter seven, it did not mean the husband has to literally die for the woman to remarry. Well, in this case, Paul uses a very different word. This word he used in 1 Corinthians 7, 39 is koimau. This is the Greek word for dead. Now, the definition for this word is to cause to sleep, to put to sleep. This word also means metaphorically or euphemistically equivalent to to die. So Paul used a word that means physically dead because it could use it could be meant in that way. But it could also metaphorically or euphemistically mean death. And of course, in that sense, is more used in the idea of a person sleeping. I'm going to give you some quick examples of the word being used to mean literal death. In Acts 7, verse 60, talking about Stephen. Stephen was stoned to death. The scripture says he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Koimau. So we're using this word in the literal sense of Stephen being stoned to death. Here's another passage. Paul uses this word to describe the 500 who saw Jesus following his resurrection. He explained that many of them were still living, but some had fallen asleep. Koimau. This is 1 Corinthians 15, verse 6. And after that, he, Jesus, was seen of above 500 brethren at once. So there's only one example. So it's over 500 that saw Jesus after his death. Of whom the greater part remain until this present, but some have fallen asleep. And so these are examples of people who have physically died. But I want to show you a passage where it's used in the sense to mean sleeping. So in John chapter 11, as they were talking about the death of Lazarus, Jesus said to his disciples, he said these things, this is John eleven eleven. these things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of his sleep. The word he uses is koimao, the same word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now I want you to notice the disciples' response. These are Jewish men. They know the language. They understand what Jesus is saying to them. And when they heard this statement, I go to, to, to our friend Lazarus, he's sleeping. They do not think physical death. And so at verse 12, 
Then said the disciples, Lord, if he sleep, koimau, he shall do well. Howbeit, verse 13, Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he was spoken of taking of rest in sleep. And so go check these Greek words out and you'll come to the understanding that even when Jesus used this word in this context of talking about Lazarus, these Jewish men did not think that Lazarus had died a physical death. And so then at first, at verse 14, Gen, then Jesus said unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Now, in this word he uses in this passage is a different word. And this is apothonisco. Now, this word, as I mentioned, is the same word that Paul used in Romans chapter seven, which could mean a literal death or a figurative death. Now, let me say this in regards to Jesus using this word. Jesus does not use the other Greek word nekros. And I find that interesting as I'm going through the passages where Jesus was raising people from the dead. He never uses the word nekros. And so he always uses it kind of more in the figurative sense rather than the literal sense, because his intention was to go and raise him from the dead. So Jesus using the term you being dead figuratively wouldn't make sense if my intention is go, to go to the hospital and to raise my brother or my sister from the dead, then no, they're not dead. This is not a literal death as far as my mindset is concerned. But whenever we find the passages used in regards to our Jesus, Jesus Christ having died, that, that word is always necros. Jesus died a literal death and he was buried and he was raised three days later from the dead. In Luke chapter 22, we have another passage where we talk about the disciples. This is following the Lord's Supper. They go out to the Garden of Gethsemane. They go into prayer. I'll just pick it up from verse 44. This is Luke chapter 22, verse 44. And being in, in agony, he prayed more earnestly. His sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And at verse 45, and when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping. And this word sleeping is K-O-I-M-E-S-I-S. -I -I -S. Very similar to the word koimao. And so we have, once again, this word being used to describe disciples sleeping in the Garden of Gethsemane. The disciples clearly were not literally uh, physically dead. Jesus died a literal death and he was buried and he was raised three days later from the dead. As we can see from both those examples and even the conversation between Jesus and the disciples regarding Lazarus, the takeaway from the conversation is not death. This word did not always mean literal death, but it's important we understand it, it was euphemism. It could be used metaphorically to refer to death. And so once again, we do not have a contradiction with Paul's language with the law of Moses. 
So let's read it this way. The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, literally, if he be dead euphemistically, if he be dead metaphorically, which does imply divorce, then she is at liberty to be married to whom she will only in the Lord. There's no forbidding of marriage after a divorce, not in this passage. As I mentioned on last week, we are as Christians. We love the sermon of the different words that apply to the word love, the different words for friend, but we've never taken the time to examine these words. How many Greek words are there for the word dead or death? When we communicate on a daily basis, how many times or different ways do we use the word dead? I died laughing. That doesn't mean that you literally died. Or we say stuff like, I was scared to death. Well, that doesn't mean you literally died out of fear. And so we use this word dead or died in so many different ways. A person is dead to me. When you use it in that expression, then we understand that the person is still living, but you have ended your relationship with them. You no longer have the, the same relationship that you used to have with that individual. It means certain things that they were afforded, whether it was that friendship, whether it was communication, whether it was financial, it's been cut off from this point forward. It's so tragic that we never took the time to actually look at the scriptures and look at these Greek words in context. And so we created this narrative that Jesus fixed or changed the, the law of Moses. And because of this, we created this false doctrine. And I've seen couples that have ended their second marriages because they believed they were in an adulterous marriage. We have twisted the scriptures. Thank you for joining us on today. Until next time, be blessed. You've been listening to the Divorced Christian Podcast Show with your host, Darius Good. This was a Good Treasure Ministries production. Darius is the senior pastor of Bible Gospel Center, and he is the author of the book, The Divorced Christian. To learn more about this book and other books written by Darius, or to listen to other episodes of our podcast show, visit our website today at thedivorcedchristian.com. We pray that today's episode has brought revelation, understanding, and healing. Please like, share, and subscribe to our podcast show. And until next time, be blessed.